Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knaus. Welcome to Episode 9 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Will. And I hope everyone listening has had a lovely week uh, and hopefully a good start to the month of December. Uh, Jeff, how have you been? Uh, I've been traveling again. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> uh, I actually left the country this time. <laughs> Went all the way up north to Toronto and hung out for the week uh, doing some work for my day job. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool. I've never been to Toronto, um, and it, I liked it a lot. It was nice and crisp. Not, I wouldn't call it cold. Certainly not by our New York standards, because it was only in like the forties during the day and the middle thirties, you know, in the evening time. So not super cold. Uh, Canadian boys are cute to look at, and they all walk around going "a," hey, mm-hmm. you know, some of the time. Mm-hmm. I actually had a customs guy say "a" hey, to me, yes. which was kind of cool. Um, but it was a good week. Even got some editing done uh, on the trip, on the plane. Got the first pass done on uh, Breakaway and Score, the Matt and Leo novella. And also the first pass done on uh, the Hat Trick Christmas Story that will be posting to the blog, hopefully by next weekend. And uh, also got a little bit of writing done on Winger, but not too much. Because mm-hmm. it just wasn't, it wasn't, it was not in the right environment to write effectively. But all in all, not too bad. And I missed you all week. Of, of course you did. <laughs> we were we were down to texting because international phone calls were not exactly the easiest thing to make. I think it's sweet that you uh, mentioned me, of course, but you mentioned the cute boys and the weather, but you forgot to mention the most important thing of all. Which was? You visited the land of poutine. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Not only did I visit the land of Poutine, I went to Poutineville. Um, which is the most important thing that happened during the trip. Which was the last thing I did, practically, <laughs> um, on the trip. Poutineville. My God, yes. They had like 25 poutines on that menu, I think. Yummy. And uh, a shepherd's pie poutine that I swear I almost went for, because you know I love shepherd's pie. <laughs> um, but I went with the signature you know, house dish to try some really classic straightforward poutine uh, for my first visit to Poutineville. And I assure you that if I ever go back to Toronto or Montreal, because that is a chain that was born in Montreal, I will certainly uh, visit again. And if we're talking about Canadian food, I also managed to get into Tim Hortons uh, a couple times for my morning coffee. I shunned mm-hmm. Starbucks on that trip Good. for the most part Good. and and went with Tim Hortons because I needed the Canadian maple donut. Which is a lovely filled donut, custard filled donut that is glazed with a nice maple coating. And I also had a uh, filled sugar cookie. Never seen filled sugar cookies before, or filled cookies in general. And also got two packs of hockey cards because they were having a promotion where you could get some hockey trading cards. So that was Canada in a nutshell. <laughs> two and a half days in Canada. I ate, I sat in a dark room watching market research studies. And missed my husband. Aww. Aww. Well, I, I uh, appreciate the thought. <laughs> Amid all the poutine and cute Canadian boys. <laughs> um, my week was pretty quiet. I didn't have this 
guy hanging out to hang out with. Um, I wanted to mention in this week's RT book reviews, I wanted to give a shout out to all the um, inaugural authors of Dream Spinner Press's um, Dream Spun Desires line. Um, there is a full-page article in this month's RT Book Reviews, which is uh, on stands now, and it um, uh, it details what the new category line at Dream Spender Press is all going to be about, and um, it mentions the authors of the uh, first three months of books and. Um, it's a really great article. I just wanted to say uh, congratulations to them. Uh, people like MJ O'Shea and Shira Anthony, who are, um, uh, their books are coming out in January 2016. And um, I know I'll definitely be signing up for this new subscription service. I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun. So uh, congratulations to them uh, on the great coverage in a uh, big, fancy, big deal magazine. And remember, this is the guy last week who said he didn't really like getting gifts of books. <laughs> he made it clear in no uncertain terms that the Dreamspun subscription was part of his Christmas present. Yeah. Um, coming up. So I don't know if I'm gifting that to him or if he's gifting that to himself. But yeah, Dreamspun desires are on his uh, holiday wish list. And yes. he'll certainly be signed up in time to get those first books uh, in January. A uh, couple mentions that we should give. A uh, friend of the podcast, Adam Yang, uh, his Red Envelope Holiday Story released this week, which is very exciting. It's actually the next thing up on my to-read list, and I believe it's on yours also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, you can go back to episode three of the podcast uh, to catch an interview we did with Adam where he talks about the origins of that book as well as some of his other writing activities. Um, so check that out in episode three. That'll be linked up in the show notes if you need that. Uh, I mentioned last week that Holiday Hotel Hookup, which is my holiday story, which is part of the Dream Spinner Advent Calendar, uh, came out this week also. And it's been kind of cool to see it show up um, on some of the Dream Spinner top ten lists, which is pretty cool. And it also cracked, at least momentarily, the top 25 on Amazon's uh, short reads for LGBT. And it's in the, I think it's in the top 250 or something in top short reads for romance overall. So that's pretty cool, uh, and that'll be in the show notes as well if you want to pick up my short little read it under an hour uh, cute holiday story. Uh, speaking of, yes? Well, I was just going to say it's a really good short story. I have read it, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Leave a review on Amazon. <laughs> that's, yeah, I should, definitely. <laughs> uh, actually, I probably wouldn't let you since we share the account. It'll look like you're reviewing my, your own book. Yeah, that might, that might seem gauche. Yeah. So if you've read it, please leave a review on Amazon. <laughs> uh, so question of the week. Uh, last week, as we just mentioned with the Dreamspun's uh, desires, the question was, do you like to give and or receive books as holiday gifts? And we got a few responses. Uh, we reached back out to Tammy uh, Middleton, who we interviewed last week. We didn't have our act together to actually ask her the question inside the interview. Uh, but she came back to us and said that she loves the idea of being gifted books and vice versa as long as she has a list, which makes total sense. Mm, indeed. Um, Jillian, one of our uh, first fans yeah. uh, to uh, contact us, 
um, she answered the question and she said that giving or receiving books as any kind of gift is a loaded subject for me. I'm currently trying to clear up my apartment and keep discovering books that were gifts from friends that I am too afraid to read in case I don't like them, but cannot part with them because they were gifts. It makes no sense. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree with you there. I'm trying, I'm trying to get over this ridiculous present phobia, and I'm taking two of the books that have been on my shelf the longest uh, home with me this Christmas, hoping that the long flight back will give me the kick I need to get reading. Yeah, and that's a good point about having a lot of books. When we moved last summer, summer of 2014, we had nearly 40 boxes of books. Yeah. It was a lot, and we didn't really want to part with any of them, so we moved them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving, moving books sucks. Yeah. I mean, uh, loving books is great, but God, moving books just sucks. It's the it's the heartache of the book lover. Any book lover knows what we're talking about. That's right. Ugh. Anyway. Anyway. And <laughs> uh, via Facebook, Lori came in with, Oh my goodness, yes. Books never wear out. You always get something new out of each one. Uh, out, of each, out of one each time you read it. And you can share it without it wearing out. Which I think is true. It's mm -hmm. all very true. Yeah. Um, so thanks to everybody who answered this week's question. Uh, we love to hear folks' uh, answer to this week's question, which is, what was the first gay fiction or gay romance book that you read, and what was its impact on you? You want to tackle that one first? Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and answer that one. I'm the one who um, came up with the, that particular question. Um, now, I don't have the world's best memory. So to my... Clearest recollection, I believe the first uh, gay book I ever read was Patricia Nell Warren's The Front Runner. Um, and I believe I read it around the time I came out in 91 or 92. Um, how I, I was trying to remember how I came across this book and why it was the first book. I believe around that time, uh, some literary group in New York released a list of the 100 best gay novels or 100 most important gay novels, something, some ridiculous list like that. And um, uh, everyone in the gay media was making a big deal about this, you know, list. It was in The Advocate and every other place. Um, remember gay media? Indeed. <laughs> anyway, um, so, <laughs> so this list was everywhere, and, uh, I've heard, I'd heard of some of the books before, um, some of them I had not, and I believe The Front Runner was rightly, um, towards the top of the list, and I think I just went to the local used bookstore and, um, picked up the copy that I still have today, uh, and I read it um, sometime around uh, 91 or 92. Like I mentioned before, uh, when I was in my 20s, I wasn't doing a whole lot of reading. Um, but this was one of the few books that I was reading around that time. Uh, also around that time, uh, the first miniseries of Tales from the City was airing on PBS, mm -hmm. uh, and I was watching that avidly, and I also picked up 
um, Armistead Maupin's first Tales of the City book, and I read that also around that time. Um, just as a side note, this battered old paperback copy um, that I have in front of me of the uh, front runner right now, um, I actually got it signed by the author, uh, which is pretty kick-ass. I think Patricia is... Uh, uh, an amazing woman, and I had the pleasure of actually meeting her briefly. She did a reading in Montreal in 2006. Jeff and I were there for the First World Out Games. Jeff was playing hockey, and I was along for the ride. And uh, Patricia was there um, supporting her, uh, at the time, brand new book about gays and history. Uh, and uh, she's always been a supporter of, of um, uh, gays in, in sports. Um, so she was there. Uh, she did a reading from that sports book and she also did a signing and I brought my paperback copy and she signed it. And, uh, yeah, I love this book a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's also, if not my first, uh, certainly among the very first that I read, mm -hmm. uh, because Will gave me his very bad copy of it to read. Uh, shortly after we started going out in 1995, um, I really enjoyed it. It's not, it's billed as a romance. It certainly doesn't follow traditional romance patterns because of the ending, uh, which we won't spoil for people who have not read it. Um, oh my, well, come on. It's over, what? How old is this book? It's... Sixties, uh, I think. Thirty? No, it's thirty-five years old now. Sixties or seventies? When did was it? No, it was second. first published in seventy-four. It's okay. almost as old as me. It is. It is so, 40, 40 years. Forty ago years this old. Book was published. Um, it, it doesn't fit the. It doesn't fit the current romance pattern. It is uh, unfortunately a tragedy. Yes, it's a romantic tragedy. Uh, but uh, it's a beautiful book. It's an amazing book. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. Uh, as the first. Gay book to read. I think it was a really good choice because even for it being set, uh, it's set around the Olympics. It's the Munich Olympics, right? For seventy two, I think. No, it was set in the nineteen eighty ones, which was Montreal. Oh, so it jumped. It, it jumped. It jumped forward in time for yeah. its setting. Yes, it did. Um, even though it's set at a time that was still particularly difficult for gays overall, its story is amazingly positive, um, despite its tragedy. And she certainly, there's two more books in this trilogy, too, that really mm -hmm. take the story that started there and rounds it out into a really beautiful piece. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, Tales of the City was also somewhere in my early reading as well. Because um, I remember when that came out, I was already living in California because we actually covered it in Satellite TV Week, mm -hmm. uh, which I was working for at the time. Um, and so I became aware of that, watched the miniseries, um, out here cause I was living here and picked up the book somewhere around the same time as the show was on, um, to read that. So that's, that's our first books. And now you get to tell us, uh, tell us what your first gay fiction or gay romance book, uh, was and what that experience was like. Um, now, you can answer this question in any number of ways. You can tweet us at, at gay, Big Gay Fiction. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, you can also leave a comment on this week's entry on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast. 
or you can also leave a comment uh, in this episode on the YouTube channel or on our website at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And, um, of course, if you feel like doing it the... Uh, <laughs> the, the new old-fashioned the way. The new old-fashioned way, you can actually email us at jeffandwill at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And uh, while you're uh, writing us or answering the question, um, please feel free to uh, suggest a future question for the listeners of this podcast. Yeah, we'd love to hear that stuff. Yeah. Uh, we also, not related to Question of the Week exactly, but did hear it from one of our new listeners, Scott, who tweeted us a couple of dozen authors he'd like for us to get on the show to interview. So we'll start, we're looking that list over and starting to, you know, make some contacts because our, in general, we'd love to get somebody on the show every other week is kind of what we're thinking about. Uh, so we'll start doing that. So if there's authors you want us to, to contact, you can uh, hit us up in all those same ways also. And we'll see if we can get them on the show. So there was some really cool TV on this week. Uh, as soon as I got back in from Toronto, I mean, we walked in the door, had di- got dinner, and started watching The Wiz. Pretty much, uh, yes. Yeah. It was spectacular, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, NBC really got it right this time. From the casting to how they shot it and the stage, the stage, the, the stage tech going on and the, the choreography from Fatima Robinson... Plus Cirque du Soleil, I thought was right on point. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> this is where you get to say something about it now. I was crazy for this. I thought it was amazing. First and foremost, um, Stephanie Mills is a pint-sized national treasure. <laughs> I love that woman. She looked amazing. She sounded even better than amazing. Um, It's just crazy how she's not an international superstar. I don't understand that. She's just, ugh. She was awesome. Crazy, crazy good. As well as everyone in the cast. It was um, pretty damn close to perfection. I really, really enjoyed this uh, a whole lot. Um... For me, I think there are, when you're growing up, there are certain um, certain things, whether it be a, a book, or maybe it's a TV show, or maybe it's a song, or uh, in this case, for me, uh, it's particular movies. They, they serve as sort of signposts or guideposts in your childhood. Um for me, The Wiz has always had a very special place in my childhood. Um, inexplicably, I don't know... Well, I do know why, which I'll talk about in a half a second. Um, whenever uh, my family would go to the uh, local video store to pick out a movie, um, I can't even tell you how many times I picked out The Wiz. I watched, you know... The Wiz on that, you know, crappy, battered VHS rental tape so many times. Um, I I think part of the reason I was so drawn to the the movie and the show itself, um, specifically the movie, is the um, very unique um, production design. It's sort of... 
um, how do how do you describe it? Sort of urban decay chic. <laughs> um, before uh, we sat down and watched the the Wiz live, um, I took a look at the movie once again, mm-hmm. and uh, on the old DVD there was a. Uh, a behind the scenes making a featurette from the 70s called Wiz On Down the Road. And I'm not making that up. That's what it was actually called. Um, and in this special, um, it, you know, goes into the making of it and everything like that. And the movie um, is pretty much its own separate entity from the show. I think when you look at them side by side, they're they're the same but vastly different. Um, the movie is really the distinct vision of Sidney Lumet and Quincy Jones. Sidney, Sidney Lumet is the one who came up with the idea of setting the movie uh, essentially in contemporary um, New York. Uh, and as we know, in the 1970s, New York was not in a good place. Um, so in the movie, Oz is this broken down beat up, grimy, kind of awesome, (laughs) uh, it's uh, Metropolis. That's, I was, I was so fascinated with that as a kid growing up here, which is, you know, which was essentially rural suburbia. I mean, I, I grew up in sort of a subdivision, but all around us are fields filled with cows and horses. So I was, (laughs) roosters. um, I was, incredibly fascinated by these um places uh you know the the creepy section where dorothy and her friends get chased around in the the subway tunnel uh which is unique to the movie it's completely it's so it's such a bizarre scene but it's um it's actually genuinely freaky it's kind of like what the hell is going on uh and and you know uh the uh, the Emerald City being the plaza of the World Trade Center, um, which is uh, just beautiful and epic in its scope. So I think the movie, though, while certainly is you know not perfect by any means, is uh, uh, its own really interesting and really unique take on the material. Um, so. I love the movie from 78 because of uh, all of the talent that's involved. Um, If you have a chance just to listen to the movie uh, soundtrack um, Mm -hmm. produced by Quincy Jones, it's a really amazing listening experience. I had the, the double LP record and I listened to that countless times. Um, So, I mean, even just the music, um, and what Quincy Jones did with, you know, Diana and Michael and everything else. It's really a, an amazing listen. So, um, so I, I love the, the, the material from, uh, from that, um, point, but also, um, getting to see this new take on this, the old material. Um, it, it was just really great. It's such a good show. And mm-hmm. it's really kind of unfortunate that there really hasn't... Uh, the Wiz has just sort of fallen 
by the wayside. I mean, other than its Tony Award-winning run in, you know, in the mid-70s, there has been no major revival. Although now there will be. Thank God. Because the the word is that this production that NBC did is actually going to transfer to Broadway, I think, for the next season. It won't get up this spring, uh, but I think it's headed there for the 20, what will be the 2015-16 season. Uh, And if they move this lock, stock, and barrel, I think they'll really have something. Mm -hmm. Um, I would imagine that some of the stars won't transfer with it. Uh, but I would hope that the young woman who played Dorothy would. Yeah. Because uh, she was quite outstanding. Uh, like Will, I mean, I, I don't have much exposure to The Wiz other than the film. We did see back in 2009 a uh, City Center Encore concert presentation that was done uh, where Ashante played Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had LaShawn's who isn't really known outside of Broadway in there as Auntie M and Glinda. Um, and it was great to see her. Um, Orlando Jones, who has some TV exposure here and there and movie exposure, uh, was in there as um, The Wiz and making his musical debut, and that was pretty good. And I noticed as I was looking this up that the James Monroe Englehart, who plays the genie in Aladdin now, five years previously in this show, was playing the lion. So it's amazing going from the cowardly lion to certainly no coward of a genie um, in the span of five years. This show was really good, and it it played more to the original book than what we just saw that was a little modernized by uh, Harvey Firestein. Mm -hmm. But it was a good show, and I think they were hoping that might have made a transfer, but it did not. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what comes of of this uh, moving. And you spoke of the music in Quincy Jones. We also discovered right before The Wiz played that an album called Diana Ross Sings The Wiz was released on iTunes uh, for the first time since it was recorded in like 78, 79. Uh, Apparently this album was done right right after Diana had filmed The Wiz, but before it had come out. And apparently because the movie tanked, at the box office, which apparently had tanked really badly, they shelved this album, and it has never come out in the intervening 40 years until now. Well, nearly 40 years, because the movie's not quite 40 yet. Um, It's her take on everything. She sings every role, uh, because there is no help. It's not not, uh, produced by Quincy Jones. It was produced by uh, someone else whose name I, I forget, but that she had worked with on some of her other hits. Um, her solo hits and not her Supremes material. Uh, it's I've listened to it once all the way through. It's fascinating, mm-hmm. um, and it's a good Diana Ross album. I mean, she's you know she was pretty much in the top of her game then in, in the late seventies, and she really sat down and thought about what she was doing and how she was going to play these roles, whether it was Dorothy or Glenda or Eveline or whoever it was going to be, <laughs> and gives it her all. It's a We'll link to it in the show notes. You could definitely at least preview it um, on iTunes if you don't pick up the whole thing. Um, while we're talking about shows, one other show that I kind of wanted to give a shout-out to um, that's been making some good rounds lately is the revival of Spring Awakening. Um, and the thing that sets it apart, if you're not familiar, is that it's uh, done by Deaf West Theater Company. And they've taken the show that, you know, Won a number of Tonys and got a lot of critical acclaim about 10 years ago, I think. Somewhere between 8 and 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And have really 
revolutionized it. I mean, I was a fan of the show originally. I'll admit to being more a fan of the score than the story itself. And I know for Will, he barely got through the show because he really didn't like the book. But you did like the score enough to hang around. I do think the music is really good. I have a problem with the story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the Deaf West production really revolutionizes it because you've got half the characters now who are deaf. And the whole show is done in sign language or in particular passages where you have characters who are speaking and not deaf characters. Um, there are places on the stage where you can read uh, subtitles. And in the instances where it's all being signed, there are subtitles. So you could follow the show no matter how you need to. Uh, but taking that and laying the the deaf storyline into it really changed up the show because now it's not just about a sexual awakening of some of these young people. It's also them trying to get through life at a time when you really weren't allowed to teach even sign language in German schools. There's a whole note in the playbill now about how they didn't just throw this element into the show. It actually has a historical tieback mm-hmm. um, to two times, you know, kind of leading into World War II. Um, so that's fascinating. The reason I'm giving this rather lengthy shout out at this point is they were on Late Night with Seth Meyer recently and did one of their centerpiece numbers for that, uh, which I'll link up to in the show notes. And it gives you a really good idea of what that show looks like. They also... Uh, were recently, in the middle of November, uh, they were invited to the White House as part of a uh, panel discussion about uh, deaf performers and the arts. Um, And they did a couple numbers there. It was a really interesting uh, panel discussion overall on how how the arts needs to be integrated appropriately uh, for those who have, you know, whatever kind of disability they may have to really make the arts accessible for them as a performer and as an audience member. Um, so I'll, I believe that's still available streaming, and if it is, I'll link up to that too, because it was a very interesting discussion beyond the couple of numbers that they actually performed in that. Uh, Spring Awakening, if you're in New York, uh, either because you live there or because you might be attending something in the city over the holidays, I highly recommend seeing this show. It's limited engagement through, I believe, I want to say January 26th. It's definitely gone by the end of January. Um, They have to get out of their theater because something's coming in behind it. And I believe all those folks from Deaf West actually have to come back to the West Coast and get back to their their regular lives. Uh, So don't miss that if you get the chance to see it. And since this episode has sort of become our unofficial... uh music and musicals theme week. Um, We also wanted to uh, say congratulations to all of the performers who are on The Voice um, as we're headed into, what is it, the semi? I think the semi-finals start um, this week. Yeah. Um, It's been a pretty uh, badass, amazing season. There's some, um, well, of course, there's always talented people, but um, this has been a... Pretty spectacular season so far. It has been. Who's your favorite? Who's your front? Who, who are your one or two front runners to win? You know, I think compared to last year, where I feel like it was you know patently obvious who was going to and who should win. Um, I think it's a little more up in the air this season. 
I think everyone is uni- uniformly uh, uh, giving very polished and personal performances. So I, I don't think it's like anyone is uh, an obvious like standout superstar. Um, they're all really good. I'm enjoying them all a lot. These top... When, are we in the top ten now? Yeah, ten became nine this week. Yeah, we're in the top top nine. They're all really amazing. I, I You were so not answering the question. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, I kind of... Yeah, yeah I kind of am. You 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 are very passionate about your favorites. I'm a little more pragmatic, and I go, everyone's so talented, aren't they great? But I mean, you are. <laughs> I have. I have to say that I've tipped a little bit. If we recorded this particular segment last week, I think I would have said that uh, Jordan is a lock mm-hmm. uh, because he's done these really amazing turns with songs like Chandelier. And he did the Adele song, um, and has you know he's got the voice, and he seems to really have the fans behind him. But then you get to this week, and Jeffrey Austin just made me cry to the point of speechlessness on the couch for minutes uh, with the song that he did, and I'm I'm blanking on the name of it. It was a song I'd never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, it just devastated me. And he's been really consistently good all along, but I think that was a breakout for him. Mm-hmm. I think Amy had a breakout with that really stripped down, almost torch song version of Bye 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 that she did. Mm-hmm. You've never heard in sync quite like that before. Um, and, you know, the thing it made me think about was what would happen if she got together with Justin Timberlake to do do it like that. And what that could turn out to be. Because Justin can do a Torch song. <laughs> as we know from some of his later stuff. Um, and then you've got Maddie. Who consistently revamps songs like she did with okay, Girls Just yeah. Want to Have Fun. You're doing the same thing I'm doing. You're just elaborating. You're no. saying they're all amazing. Here you go. That was my top four. <laughs> okay. Okay, your top four. That's who I think the top four is. Top four out of the top nine. And, But I also see what you're saying that. You know, by and large, it's a really good group. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, in the eliminations this week, the one I've been waiting to get rid of got finally left. Um, but you'll notice in my top four, too, I also didn't put Braden up there because I think he has peaked and maybe starting to fall back by the wayside. But 15-year-old Braden's also been nothing short of amazing um, so far this season. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, we've never watched American Idol for the most part, except when, yeah. except when Adam Lambert was on, and then we were tending to only watch his parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we've committed to the voice, and I think one of the reasons that we do the voice is because the coaches are consistently a they're hysterical in their banter between the four of them, <clears throat> but they're also they always give good notes. It's not like you suck or you did the wrong song or you did whatever. It's it's notes they could take away and use, mm-hmm. and. You know, even like with Corinne having a total like <laughs> blank out on her lyrics, they all were like, you know, we've all done that. It happened, and you kept going instead of freaking out and stopping. And so, you know, she even learned a little something in that moment. Um, it was kind of okay. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, we'll be watching. I think they said there's two more episodes left. I don't know how, how you whittle nine people down to a, a winner in two weeks. I'm not really clear on, but yeah, yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's this week's show because I think we've run over talking about a ton of rather unrelated but related things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do want to tell you that next week we've got Brandon Witt on the show. Uh, he will be with us. He will be the pretty much the entire show next week because we've had a really good. Uh, interview with him uh, that runs about 25 minutes, so we'll get to learn a lot about Brandon. He's got a new book, well, a new short story out as part of the Dream Spinner Advent calendar that we'll talk about along with some of his other stuff, and what he's up to for 2016, so you won't want to miss that. Yeah, something nice to look forward to. Now, remember that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitchers, uh, Player FM. Have I ever heard of them? Are there, we on them? We are on Player okay, FM. Okay, we're on Player FM and YouTube, of course. Uh, we'd also love any reviews on those platforms, wherever you hear us or watch us. Uh, yeah. Please consider, you know, leaving us a starred review or a few kind words. We're, we're still new and could use the uh, positive vibes. Yeah. <laughs> reviews help. Reviews uh, help, help, keep our, help our visibility. Yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, leaving a book review is important because it helps that book's visibility on the stores, uh, leaving a, a review for the podcast helps it out on its platforms as well. Yeah. Uh, you can leave comments to us uh, on any of those places that Will just mentioned, as well as our website at biggayfictionpodcast.com, where you can also sign up for the monthly newsletter. We'd love to get emails from you, too, and you can send those to Jeff and Will at biggayfictionpodcast.com as well. And do it. All right. So that's it for this week. We'll be back with Brandon Witt next week. And in the meantime, have a great week. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. For detailed show notes, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com.